Hello and welcome to game seven of the world. Uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, hello and welcome to episode you aren't thirty-seven. Even announcing for it. <laughs> There's no excuse for this. <laughs> hello and welcome. You've to... dated the podcast from cradle to grave. Uh, that's fine. And welcome to episode thirty-seven of King May Quest, which happens to be recording during game seven of the World Series, where it looks like Back to the Future. Two may only be slightly off on predicting a certain team winning the World Series. Miami. Well, <laughs> not against Miami, but uh, we'll we'll let that part slide. Uh, but yeah, so people uh, only pay attention to the winner anyway. That's true. It's sadly true, unless you're the Red Sox. Um, so uh, I am Mike Apps, aka Wheels, your host, and with me as always. Tempo Master, David, whatevs. And our most prolific guest returns. Hello, everybody. Mr. Baker. And we actually just got an awesome question from our uh, Master Chief, Mr. Oh. Michael Cunningham. Uh-huh. So uh, I think Dave is going to enjoy this question especially. So we're going to Master leave- Chief. Petty officer. We're going to lead off with this one. What does It's Like Dark Souls make you think in reference to games? What aspects would you like to see copied from Souls into other games? Uh, so, okay, I'm, I, I need to separate these two yes, things I've, out into two <laughs> questions because the first thing I think is, oh my god, shut up, I don't want to talk about Dark Souls anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, well, we, let's definitely separate those someone two. who has not actually played Dark Souls or any of its variations, the first thing I think of when I hear it's like Dark Souls is this game is out to kill you. <laughs> this game yeah. is out to kill you and you are going to take it and enjoy it whether you like it or not. Well, I feel like, yeah, that's obviously Dark Souls' reputation, but I feel like it's not really the actual truth when you sit down and play a Dark Souls game because okay. I, you think about a lot of modern games and I don't want to call them hand-holdy because most you know they aren't necessarily that but they're much more careful about introducing you to how the game plays and gently working you into them you know dark souls has no interest in doing that it's not out to kill you but it is not out to help you in any way in any particular fashion it sounds a bit more like um some reviews i remember hearing of mega man zero when it first came out along the lines of um, i died a lot and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, actually, I think, yeah, that's probably actually, yeah, that is the Dark Soul of Dark Souls. <laughs> the one Dark Soul. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's kind of that. I mean, thinking of Mega Man Zero games, they are really hard. Uh, the game doesn't exactly help you, but it's not like it's not like the game is throwing endless uh, one-hit kill pits at you or anything like that. It's just difficult and the tools are there for you to beat it. You just have to, you know, take the time to learn them and get yourself through it. Or you play the uh, Zero Collection, which has an easy mode. You can also yeah, do that. that's absolutely a good way to play it. <laughs> I know, I only played it on the Game Boy Advance originals. Uh, did you beat any of them? No? I beat the first two. Oh, well, that's that's impressive, actually. That's more than I can say. Yeah. Never played, never beat the 
Well, I think the first two are the hardest, so there you go. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, seriously, when I see, and I think Dave, you're just like this, it's like Dark Souls, um, it's just this weird marketing thing that people seem to be doing that, oh, this game is really hard. And so like back during the 80s and 90s where every action movie had to be die hard in such and such. It, exactly, exactly. And it's, it's a little weird to me because it's not like, it's not like Dark Souls is super unpopular or anything like that. Um, it's just... Uh, it's not like this overwhelmingly popular thing that you would think everyone needs to market to that. So, like, uh, it's it's got that to a... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, it's got that reputation of being the hardcore gamer's hardcore game. Right. Regardless of actual... Reality. So I guess if people have a hardcore game they want to sell to hardcore gamers, then hey, it's like Dark Souls. Or if they want to project the image of it being hardcore. Right. It's really, whenever, whenever somebody says something like this, it's all about the image that they want to give for the game. Right. It, it, it's also that the sort of uh, company that actually uses like it's like Dark Souls, but blank, is also aiming for or, like, the sort of person that would know what Dark Souls is. Right. <laughs> and listen, the only good use of It's Like Dark Souls, but is for the uh, as-yet-unreleased indie game Dad by the Sword. <laughs> I need to pull up this ad copy because it's good. Dad by the Sword? Is that <laughs> yes, Dad by the Sword. But let, me, let me pull up this important bit of ad copy. Uh, let's see. Why is this website not loading? I need you're ruining this in real time. Internet, there we go. It's fill in recent popular game you like meets barely related popular thing you also like meets I don't know some game with a dad in it. Pretend I said it's Dark Souls meets Heavy Rain meets Octodad. <laughs> uh sold. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for Dad by the sword. That's that's pretty cool. Um yeah, unfortunately it doesn't seem like any, most of the games that are the Dark Souls of something, you know, are actually the Dark Souls of anything. Uh, dark Souls is the Dark Souls of Dark Souls. The end. Yeah. So, in other words, it really is a lot like the like that period of movies where everyone was saying it's Die Hard and a such and such. Yeah, a absolutely. It's just it's. I guess a marketing way of saying this game is hard. Yeah, yeah like remember I, that I remember thing this, you liked? I remember this apocryphal story where a bunch of movie executives were getting together to try and decide on the next big summer blockbuster action movie and they're saying how about Die Hard in this or Die Hard in this and one guy said well how about Die Hard in an office building? <laughs> and everybody just looked at him but what an idiot. <laughs> It's it's tragic that uh, that Die Hard spent so long being like a weird byword. It, much like Dark Souls, Die Hard was an amazing defining action movie, and then like it got turned into a weird byword that like immediately made you sick of hearing the name because it's like oh they're just they're just misunderstanding it again. Yeah, I was gonna say the only three like a Die Hard movies I ever liked were original Die Hard, Die Hard Two, and that one teen school movie masterminds that had um, mm. uh, a brain part, Jean-Luc Picard. 
um, as the villain. Uh, Patrick Stewart. Thank you, Patrick Stewart as the villain. What movie was that? Because that sounds awesome. A- Masterminds. Masterminds. It was, um, it was basically, if, if we're going to use this description, die hard in a prep school. <laughs> where this group of guys attacked this, um, basically invaded this like really high status, high um, economic status prep school and took a bunch of the rich kids hostage. Hmm. And this one, and ended up um, the big brother of one of these kids who was actually expelled from the school for delinquent behavior originally, sometime in the previous school year, and he was st- um, he got stuck there delivering his kid sister to school, and yeah, he was the hero of this. It was actually pretty good, um, all things considered. Hmm. It's like like tween diehard, I guess you could call it. I mean. Queen, Die Hard, interesting. Hey, it, was, it was better than Die Hard 3, 4, or 5. <laughs> well, that's not saying that much. Die Hard, 3, Die Hard 3 started as an unrelated script called Simon Says. I'm not surprised. Actually, Die Hard, Die Hard 3, I did like Die Hard 3. It was Die Hard's 4 and 5. and yeah. How many How many were there? What, what number we're, was We're at 5, but they're, they're talking about rebooting it now, so probably 6. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, which one was the I one with the hackers? Like I... Hacker was four. Four, okay. That's... Yeah, that's, number three that, was that one started the... it. Yeah, number three was the one with, yeah, the, the Simon, Simon Says I, I I did Simon. like that one just because of, yeah, it was a good one. Okay. Okay, so I like four Die Hard movies, and one of, the, one of them is not actually Die Hard. <laughs> One of them started, I want to say, like, I love the bit of trivia that no Die Hard movie until, like, 5 started its life as a Die Hard movie. Like, like, Die Hard 1 started life as, like, being based on a book that was a sequel to a movie, to a book that had actually been adapted already as, like, a Frank Sinatra vehicle. And, like, uh, then became something, something of its own partway through. And then one of them started out as a Lethal Weapon movie. And so the origin of the Die Hard arcade games seems so appropriate. Yeah, no, it's like, perfect. Like, oh, this is not a Die Hard? Well, it is now. We put John McClane in us. Yes. That's a good video game. That's a great game. And the fact that they put the character in Project Cross Zone was excellent. (laughs) I'm still really sad can now be connected to any video game series you can think of by six degrees of separation. Oh my god. I'm still really <sighs> disappointed that, like, I didn't pick up the Sega Ages that was just Die Hard Arcade slash Dynamite Cop. Oh, is Dynamite, was Dynamite Cop that weird follow-up for Dreamcast? Yeah, well, Dynamite, Dynamite Cop was, the, Dynamite was Cop. Die Hard Arcade. So, it was just the Japanese yeah. name, Dynamite yeah. Cop. Yeah, gotcha. They also added in like a mode where you just dressed up, where they just dressed up everyone like a Golden Axe character. Okay, well, moving on, I think we've diverged enough on this one. Yeah, so we have the other part of the question, which is what aspects would you like to see copied from Souls into other games? Again, I have never actually played these games, so I'm not quite sure what some aspects might be, but I'm just from 
everything I hear, I'm thinking a lot of Metroidvania types already copy some of these concepts. Yes. I, I, the argument would be that copying little bits of Dark Souls doesn't work very well, because like Dark Souls' design concept is so self-reinforcing. Everything is built around how it works, so when you just take little bits of it, you find that they don't satisfyingly work on their own yeah, yeah you lose the synergy yeah so i would say just more like metroidvania type games because when you you know kind of look at the world building and things like that that's yeah. pretty much what it uh, is it's it's the world building that really like makes the game sort of sticky beyond just being hard is that it's also just like it's not even necessarily the world building or like the lore per se but just like that every area is interesting and visually arresting in a way that's like sort of desolate and lonely in a way that like usually when a game looks desolate it's because like there's something technically wrong with it where it's like missing things that ought to be there whereas dark souls and bloodborne and demon souls and all those all have this sort of like yeah there was once like gaze upon my works you mighty and despair there was once a great civilization here it's long gone and you're staring at the dregs of it and trying to understand mm. Okay, so then here's a question. Do you think a more science fiction post-apocalyptic setting a la Fallout would work as a Dark Souls game? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd really love to see that, because thinking of games like those, the big open-world games, I really have a problem kind of getting focused on anything to do in there. Because, you know... I, I'm not really a big fan of those big open-world games because it just seems like, uh, I don't know, you almost have to make your own fun, I guess, and there's not a lot, there can sometimes be not a lot of direction and just random wandering around, and yeah, not the biggest fan of that. Whereas the worlds in Dark Souls-type games, you know, just think, if you imagine, like, any type of Metroidvania game, they're you can do a lot of exploring and things like that, but the world is very self-contained and there's always things you need to look for and uh, it's very focused. Uh, so I would like to see more open world games instead of just you know throwing you into some random giant world. Just focus on a smaller, better connected type Metroidvania world. Let's get it, I guess. The point I'm slowly rambling to. More Metroidvania. You'll get there eventually. Yes. More ga like don't even. It doesn't even have to be a Metroidvania. Just yeah. Games that pay attention to how their worlds work. Yeah. Yeah. Just like forget the forget the Metroidvania. I just make a, con a s smaller. You know what? Forget world. the casino and the blackjack. <laughs> Uh, so I guess the only other thing I would take maybe is uh, more action RPGs with combat like Dark Souls. Because mm -hmm. uh, I really like how... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. The combat just feels solid in the games and intense and I like the uh, stamina meter. So it doesn't turn into just like a hack and slash type game. You actually have to think about what you're doing. Stamina and... is, the stamina is way more fun than it was in Kingsfield. Um, <laughs> let's, but, let's, uh, let's just leave Kingsfield out of this. Nope, I'm going to talk shit. Uh, um, <laughs> but no, no, I'm actually not. Uh, 
But yeah, no, there's a certain, like, part of it is just that the game is hard. So, like, there is, like, combat is inherently tense because if you get hit, like, it's like, oh, well. But it's it's also just, like, any because of that, like, any given hit feels substantive except for, like, the very few situations where you're grossly unlevel, uh, underleveled or overleveled for where situations where, like, you either mop the floor or your hit doesn't feel substantive because it's literally not substantive. Yeah. Uh, so, I was just thinking, you know what make you know what might fit cool in that kind of design, like a mech game. You know, wonder if From Software yeah. has a series they could use for that. Hmm. They're making a new IP, but like they're not going to make anything Dark Souls esque until someone. Else else, like, presents something to me that he's just excited give me, about. Give me an Armored Core in that style. I'm sure that give that could piss me. off so many Armored Core fans. <laughs> give it to me. It would be amazing. <laughs> like, they would be furious. Well, that's okay. There aren't that many of them. Yeah, yeah. Those were, those <laughs> came out like sorry. I'm sorry, for Armored... the entirety of the 2000s. I'm sorry, Armored Core There's fans. so many of we them. We still love you. <laughs> I'm going to name, like, an Armored Core game, and you're not going to be able to tell if it's real or not. Silent Line, Nexus. Aren't those all different Victory versions Day. of the, the three for PS2? Four Answer is uh, the second version of four. Yeah, Victory Day is the second version of five. But, like, oh, all those right. other ones, yeah. like, they're kind of expansions to three, and they kind of aren't. It's, like, they came out, like, clockwork, and by the time you got to, like, the fourth or fifth expansion, does it really count as three anymore? Like, it's the... Frickin' Ship of the Argo. I was gonna say, Ship of Theseus? Ship of Theseus, you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm glad that someone could translate my completely busted mythological reference. I don't know okay. their reference. Who are we Ship of Theseus is the... Oh, well, let's is explain the... this to him at a different time, because I think we're... I think we've oh, yeah. really run yeah, into this okay. question. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> All right, so, yeah. Thank you for that question, Mac. Um... So, I'm going to move on to our next quote-unquote question, uh, which is Breath of Fire 6, discuss, from Budai. Oh, man, I'm going to have like, nothing again, kind to say here. It. <laughs> haven't played it, don't have a smartphone to play it, but I've seen bits of media on it in magazines and various Japanese sites, and I'm thinking, well, it, it looks a lot more like a Breath of Fire game than Breath of Fire 5 did, which is going to be a given, almost. Um, it looks like they took a like a checklist for the character archetypes that are common throughout the series and hit it pretty well, actually. Um, again, I have no idea how this plays. I have no idea what the reality is, but I'm thinking I really wish they could have just put it on a regular console. Vita? Possibly. Or 3DS. Yeah. I mean... The graphic would level probably have been where it would have yes. sold better. Yeah. It's you one know. of those things where, like, it was weird to me to realize that Breath of Fire had, like, this very small but very, very frustrated fandom when Breath of Fire, like, 6 got announced and there was suddenly, like, this small but, like, big obvious uproar. Because I'll be honest, I played through Breath of Fire 2 uh, and, like... That was a perfectly fine RPG that was not actually worth remembering, and I remember almost nothing about. Yeah. 
mean, this is Japan. Any series that goes for more than two or three iterations ends up with a small but very rapid hardcore fan base. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, a good I just point. didn't realize it had one in English, too. Yeah. Because I well, don't remember... It, like, not for like, five. It until, like, in, Jerks. It wasn't until the late 2000s that I realized that there existed a small but very angry fan base that considered five to have killed the franchise. And like that was a very strange thing to realize. Yes, that's right, fan. There, the uh, best, the best game in your series killed the franchise. Okay. I'm thinking okay, more but... like series was already on its way out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I feel like Dragon Quarter was just a like a hail mary that didn't play out. Yeah, like I feel like when you see those like last installments that look nothing like their predecessors, it's because like there's a realization from within the publisher that like if this continues on the sales trajectory that it's on, it's just going to start actually losing money. So we need to try to desperately attract a new audience. With the exception of Unlimited Saga, which just really was a serious <laughs> killer. It should have, I mean, by all rights it should have been, but they somehow managed to pull it out after that. We can be thankful that yes. they didn't manage to kill it, but it was it was very much a Kawazu decided he wanted to be weird, and no one stopped him. Mm-hmm. Or he had enough clout in the company that nobody could stop him. Still convinced it's a secret masterpiece we don't fully understand. Well, it would need to be properly reorchestrated for anyone to really understand it. And possibly republished with a much thicker game manual. Mm-hmm. Game manual is worthless. <laughs> but yeah. Did that? Did that even? If you haven't his... played Breath of Fire, maybe go back. Maybe what? go back and reevaluate Dragon Court. It is an interesting experience. Yeah, I was just gonna say, did Unlimited Saga ever get a strategy guide in the U.S.? I doubt Probably. it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, like, every Square game, game at that time got one, but I don't think that anyone bought that guide, if it exists. Because if it well, did... Case, the Fire, yeah. I, I've only played the 1, 2, and 5. I skipped 3 and 4, for I'm not quite sure why. I think I just missed out. Um, so what what would be the good and bad things about 3 and 4? Uh, 3 had some nice sprite work, some... Uh, like just charming art and interesting music. Its cons are that like I got like twelve hours in and it wasn't going anywhere fast. Yeah, it's kind of boring. I was gonna say that's like a it, common theme for the series is that it's a real slow starter. Yeah. Except for Dragon Quarter, yeah. which again mm-hmm. is like it's like fifteen hours long. It doesn't have time to be slow starters. I know it's really well compressed and mm-hmm. it's it actually plays a lot more like like an action movie than a lot of other games would. I feel like like the issue that 3 and 4 have is that they are, like, 1 and 2 are already slow burns, but 3 and 4 are slow burns that are also way longer because they're PS1, like, CD-based RPGs. And so, and so they had that like, what was a slow... Cram in there. Yeah, like... Like there's this like three starts out with this really long section where you're playing as Ryu as like a short pants child and like it takes so long before it actually starts going anywhere and it's just like by the time it actually does it's like I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. And like that's also kind of the thing with four is that like it's really pretty like the aesthetics are nice the music is good 
and I don't care because it takes too long. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of three, and although it gets the combat much quicker, I think its start is uh, just worse than Dragon Quest VII's by far. Yeah, if, like if you getting consider seven to, bad. getting to combat, getting to combat isn't really the issue so much as like getting to a hook. Yeah, like like, like it's it's like starting four. enough. I remember Persona yeah. 4 took almost an hour for me to get to actual combat, but it was really interesting before that. Oh, yeah. Like, Persona yeah. 4 sucks yeah. you in right away. Persona, Persona 4 is setting up characters that you're going to be interacting with, and it, like, really sets it up, like, these plot hooks, like, where is... the secret boss of the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot so good. In the first 15 minutes. Yeah. And then so good. And about this character. Yeah, like, the character... Sh- should be super suspicious, but the game is so long that by the time that that character comes back, you you really don't remember them. But like, it, it's one of those things where like, you know, there, it doesn't have to get to the action; it just has to get to something interesting. It's like when you're reading a novel, and it, like, if your main character isn't doing anything interesting for like five chapters, you're gonna put it down because it's like after a while it doesn't matter what it's getting to because it's not getting there fast enough like it's not setting it doesn't feel like it's setting anything up it just feels like it's taking too long mm-hmm. so anyway back to Dragon breath of fire six mm-hmm. what do you think i don't think it has any english presence at all like i don't think they've even implied they might localize that one mm-hmm. it's like i i can it's it, to me, it's weird only in the sense that they chose to revive the branding. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, right. I've seen much weirder branding situations with the smartphone market, like the fact that there are currently two extant Metal Max games by competing companies <laughs> with slightly different names, but with the same dog. <laughs> now I'm just thinking about, is there a is the current reigning king of weirdest choices of branding the King's Knight revival in the FF15 universe? Hmm. That's hmm. got to be up there. I'm sure there's weirder. I'm sure that's weirder, but that's the weirder mainstream ones. But yeah, it's like, I, I suppose in that sense, like, the thought process is probably any sort of branding to latch on to to is better than just releasing something completely unknown into a very, very crowded market. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be a lot of it. It's Yeah, it makes sense. Again, a known, a known instead of an like unknown. The Breath of Fire 6 it actually looked like they did some research into the, the series staple archetypes and had some fun building up stuff from there. Yeah. Breath of Fire was kind of aided by the fact that, like, the only thing that the the most consistent thing in the series is there are characters named Ryu and Nina, and one of them is a dragon boy with blue hair, and one of them is a wing is a winged blonde girl. They've got both of those. Nice. Yeah. And they've and got from there, every, and they've got the entire rest of the list. Yeah. But yeah. From there, you you can kind of like extrapolate it around a little more as long as it's safe. Fairly traditional RPG, and it's still going to look like Breath of Fire. Yeah. Just make it nice and colorful. 
Yeah, that's kind of the thing about the, the the series outside of five. It's just like you know they have a nice distinctive look, and the stories are somewhat different than your typical fare, I guess. But in general, they're just kind of generic RPGs. Five is also distinctive looking. It's just distinctive from the other yeah. distinctive look. <laughs> but it, it's interesting to see a game with an actual muted color palette rather than poor use of colors. Because like, that game can be colorful when it wants to be, but it's trying not to be for a lot of the time. Well, the interesting thing about Five is if if you put that on a modern-day console without changing the graphics at all, it would still re- look really good. It's a really nice it's a really artistically good game. Yeah. If you put that on a modern console and just called it Dragon Quarter and see how people react to it. <laughs> it probably could have done better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are, are there still people who argue that it's not really a Breath of Fire game because oh, it doesn't have to be? Of course. Yeah, more... Of course. Uh, I just look over here, I see my copy, and it's got a big V on it. I'm like, screw you guys. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, are we yeah. tapped out on this one, or can we find another tangent? Uh, I think so. I think we're pretty much tapped out. I think, yeah, like, it's kind of a situation where, like, none of us have played it, and none of us are that fond of Breath of Fire, so there's not much we can really say. And I feel like if we just keep talking about it too long, we're just going to start talking about how awesome 5 is. And <laughs> like, I'm... Willing to do that, but I don't think anyone asked for it. Yeah, so should probably move on. Uh, let me see what we've got next. Okay, this is another one from Low Whoops. Am I the only one who cannot get into a game that uses non-English dubbing? Again, it comes down to Neptunia games having charming characters and silly dialogue that's in English, proving to be more appealing to me than obviously better games like Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Pound Fire Emblem, who only have subtitles. Sharp. No, Sharp. no, 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 no! I for you, f- you forget our time with Anna, who calls it Pound Fire Emblem. Oh yeah, so oh yeah. Pause. The <laughs> so that is what we're gonna call it. Uh, I feel Pound like not- Fire. I feel well, like spe- speaking from personal experience, I don't care what language the dubbing is in, as long as it sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's kind of a necessity for me. I th- I think it's I think this is solely down to like a personal preference thing. Uh, a better question is how do you feel when the dubbing makes no sense in any language? Because uh, I I can think of three games where that is true. Two of them are from um, from the Project Ico group. Ah, uh, yeah. So did you ever play Ico or Shadow of the Colossus? I played, played I did. I played them recently, actually. Yeah, and both of those use a completely fabricated language. Yeah. And in, and in iCode, they don't even bother to run subtitles for what, <laughs> uh, what the girl and the evil queen are saying for the most of the game. You have to get through to the new game plus before you can find out what their half of the story is. Hmm. That's not even in the, the uh, initial North of the American release. Yeah. I guess Shadow, and, Shadow of the Colossus is too bad because it doesn't. I assume it doesn't have as much talking as Ico does. Well, it doesn't have. It actually has more. Really? Uh, I mean, neither of them have a lot of dialogue, and for Shadow of the Colossus, it's mostly the demon thing giving you orders. Yeah, it's, it's still it's like 
yeah, I mean, both of those games actually got American releases a few days ahead of the Japanese releases because they did not have to worry about at dubbing anything, and the translation text was really small. Yeah. But the third game I'm uh, thinking is Moon RPG... Um, no, what was it? R the RPG Adventure. Mm -hmm. Ever heard of this one? It's the Love Delete game? Yeah, it's a Love Adelic game. And it is... Like, if you took the... If you took the concept behind the most generic Dragon Quest clone game RPG you could think of, with have it being played by a by a player who just wants to slaughter everything in his wake, and then deconstruct that, invert it, and then force the player to play through it himself, personally. <laughs> but one of the one of the cool things about this game is it has many many characters. They're all voiced, but it, unlike most, every single one has a different voice actor sampled in some language that was not Japanese, and then had it completely, like, chopped up and remixed into something that sounds like it's intelligible but but is not. So like the little sort of like how Midna talks in Twilight Princess. Oh no no! Like the little grandma who helps you at the beginning and gives you a place to stay yeah. and gives makes you cookies every day. She speaks French. Hmm. All of her lines are just dubbed. straight up French. All of her lines are dubbed French, but then they are put through a blender. So nice. of, the, of, the, of the two or three dozen characters in this game, the English is in, I mean the languages include English, Spanish, Italian, French, German, Russian, I think it was supposed to be some type of Indonesian, Indian, and a few others. Hmm. And everybody I mean, it says RPG Remix Adventure. Everybody's voice acting is completely... Really insane. So, I wonder how Lolo's would feel about that guy. Where you are not... Yeah. ...and what people are saying. It sounds... I mean, the teachers from Peanuts movies would be more... In fact, I think at least one character actually sounds like that. <laughs> That's good. That's as it should be. Nice. Um, did did the early Panzer Dragoon games use a made-up language? I'm trying to recall. I don't know. Um, I know I that there was... Uh, the, the only other real fun example that comes to mind is an old anime called Wings of Honomiese. Or oh, yeah. Where the enemy nation spoke this strange language that, and everyone was very impressed because it sounded like it was sounded intelligible, it sounded like a real language. But what the studio had done was that they had taken a Japanese script for these enemy characters and then rewritten it into, or rewritten it through all of the most extreme dialect variations that the Japanese language has, and then they gave all of these lines to foreign voice artists who had no idea what they were saying. Interesting. And the result was something that sounded like it shouldn't be intelligible, but which was not, because nobody had any clue of anything. <laughs> and the base language was Japanese plus Almori Ben, or something like that. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, like, 
pertaining to the original thought, like, I guess, like, if there is a good dub in my language, like, in English, like, I will prefer it, but at the same time, like, it usually doesn't turn me away to not have it. Yeah. I'm willing to put up with a lot to play a really good game, so... Although, I do also... I played really miss games a dub I can't in, read. It's great. Yeah. I really miss a dub in Tokyo Mirage Sessions, but, you know, I can get by, so... Um... I, I'm sure Low Whoops isn't alone in that. Uh, yeah, especially no, in like it certainly exists. That's why they do these. Yeah, especially in like he heavily voiced games, heavy story. Like thinking of say Persona 4, I can't really imagine playing that without a dub. It would probably be difficult, but at the end of the day, I'd probably you know still play through it because it's an awesome game. You know, regardless of the actual voice acting. And even if there were no voice acting, I'd probably still stick with it. So I'd probably call it a lesser product, but yeah, I would still stick with it. So yeah, it's a big preference thing, and obviously we have a very, very, very loud and frustrating minority that prefers the other way around. So, oh well, what you're gonna do? Yeah. But, I mean, I think at the end of the day, when you're trying to sell a game in the West, it's always good to have a dub. Uh, and, you know, even some games where they obviously do include the original Japanese audio as an option, uh, you still got to have that dub there. Because I'm sure a lot of games without one are a really tough sell. Although a lot of these games are pretty niche, niche they are prob they probably sell to a wider audience than you think, so uh, please don't decry the importance of dubs, is all I'm saying. Uh, any other thoughts on this this one? Yeah, because the games are better well, without dubs. I'm still remembering how surprised I was when I got Dragon's Dogma over here in Japan and put it in the PlayStation and it came out in... <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, it had full voice acting everything in two languages on the disc, and it just read whatever the preferences were on my machine, <laughs> and gave me the which is why I ended up reviewing this thing, and had a lot nice. of fun noting the the real. I mean, somebody had a lot of fun writing out spell names and um, scripting in that game because they managed to hit a very good old-timey, classical sort of English vibe without actually descending into Shakespearean conjugations. And so I was, I was actually kind of impressed. So, um, the actual accents, it was like a cross-section of Europe. But, and not always well-matching. But the actual writing was pretty well, really good. It's just a game I really need to get to at some point. Did you enjoy it overall? Oh yeah, I mean, there were things I thought could have been improved. Like, it needed at least one more um, big upset moment, like halfway through the game, to really just replace all the monsters in an area of tougher monsters. It does that, but it does that in the post-game. Ah. And it really should have done it halfway through the game as well. Um, 
but yeah, that and the fact that you couldn't that you could climb giant cyclops and golems, but you couldn't climb trees. <laughs> um, trees or walls. If they had managed to make the environments a little more interactive like that, that would have been really fun. Hmm. <laughs> now I'm wondering what it was like for Japanese gamers to pop in like Resident Evil One and see that there existed no Japanese voice track at all. <laughs> Oh, that, they would have been surprised because they would have been calling it Biohazard. Oh, yeah. Same point. <laughs> Touché. True enough, but it still would have not had a Japanese voice track. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the like Metal Gear and... I mean, there's a lot of games over here that are presented in English with English voice tracks. Well, Metal, Metal Gear has a Japanese voice actor. Has yeah, a voice but all the advertising is in English. Really? That's super weird. Yep. Uh, Metal Gear, Fallout, of course. I mean, all of the e- American game, origin games as well, but anything that looks like it's been modeled more after that aesthetic, usually it shows the English voice acting and the advertising. Um, all those Kingdom Hearts games they keep bringing back there with uh, the English dubs because it's Disney. Actually, I think Bayonetta may have had English advertising. Yeah, I think it has a Japanese dub, but it might have been advertised in English. Yeah. Just because of, like, the pseudo-medieval witch thing. It's interesting. Any other thoughts on this question? I have my thoughts into... Uh, <laughs> so the moral of the story is we need French dubs for everything, right? Sure, you can do that. Bonjour. Parlez-vous français? Je ne sais quoi. Omelette de fromage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I okay, I'm play, done. I, I did play Pokemon XY completely in French. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> because talent. <laughs> And because I wanted to see what but will they, I wanted to see what word wordplay they managed to do with the names of all the towns, in what was supposed to be France. Nice. France. <laughs> they but will did, they? Yeah, they managed it pretty well. Nice. But will they let you play Pokemon Sun and Moon in Native Hawaiian? <laughs> I'm gonna guess no. not. <laughs> well, now I'm oh, that, that would that would be a nightmare just to try and pronounce. I mean, I know I, it'd I, be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking up stuff about Hawaiian recently, and do you know how many letters the Hawaiian alphabet has? It's like 11. <laughs> Eight. Eight? Oh, man, it's even worse. Eighteen. Ten of them are vowels. Oh! You have A-E-I-O-U, and then you have the long versions of the A-E-I-O-U. Then you okay. have six consonants, one demi-vowel, W, and a glottal slot. And glottal stop. Okay, then. <laughs> and um, the website that I was looking this up on actually quotes a Dave Barry column where he describes the Hawaiian language as something that the Polynesians brought over, but then there was a big wave and half their consonants got washed off. It, so. <laughs> and so now you end up with street names like like 18 letters long, almost all vowels, and he says occasionally in the night they will spawn extra letters in the middle and nobody will notice. How are we to know? Yep. 
Anything else from Lola Loop? Because I'm sure there's always stuff from Lola Loops. There is. And the next one is from Lola Loops, actually. Uh, probably insert some sort of musical break somewhere. Uh, yeah. Let's insert one here. Please enjoy a, some music. I don't, I don't know what it'll be at the moment, so yeah. Music! I may have jinxed the Cubs because the Indians just tied the game. <laughs> really going to make it easy to chart when we were recording. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, so we have a question from Low Whoops, and it's kind of a long one, so let me read this off here. I want you to think for a bit about a Sonic the Hedgehog RPG that plays like Star Ocean 1 and 2 on the PSP. Sonic will move fast and be an attacker. You'll have the different characters like Tails doing something related to their thing. Their, uh, I feel like could have des described that better. Uh, That's fine. You'll have healers and tankers, damage dealers and debuffers, and support types. Because of this, a lot of characters signing this universe. You'll get skills that you can invest in, like cooking and mechanic stuff. You'll have crazy over-the-top story that doesn't really make sense. And it'll probably be terribly written. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Sonic. You know, Sonic. Some traditions uh, aren't meant to die. But it will do what no RPG has done before. It'll make Sonic feel like he's moving fast while still in an RPG battle. I really should go to Sega and tell them I will literally plan and write the whole thing. Just give me a small team of artists and code monkeys, and I will make Sonic RPGs a thing. Because we're going to just forget about the one that does exist. No, no, we are not talking about that thing ever again. Yes, yes. Again, we've talked about it before. Like, it feels like purgatory to even remember that it happened. But yes, certainly of all the possible things it could go for with a Sonic RPG, this sounds like the one that would probably work the best. Yeah. Yeah, probably. It's, uh... It's just a difficult nut to crack. Yeah. But, I mean, I think he's on the right track. I think you have to look at the Mario RPGs, which, when you really look at them, capture Mario in an RPG, because they generally have a lot of platforming and generally a lot of character of the series. Make so, sure that it has some essence of what the, the other thing is, rather than just a coat of paint. Yeah. So, an action battle system makes sense. I think it should also have some kind of platforming element as well, in my opinion. That'd be nice. Um, but of course... Then, Difficult, but nice. Yeah. Uh, what I would picture is maybe less than in the Star Ocean vein. Uh, as you're going along, you'll kind of break into a battle in like the same map area, not like a necessarily a separate map like mm. you might do with the Star Ocean game. Oh, so it's the Star Ocean Five style battle. System. Yes, yes. And 
And honestly, if you look, if, not playing that. if you look at the much derided uh, Sonic Boom for the Wii U, it kind of does like an actiony battle system, minus the in-depth RPG elements. So I could kind of picture a better, more RPG version of that actually working well. The, the big issue with that game is just that, like, the the function of at action to the game just makes it intolerably slow. Everything takes forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's oh, yeah, the thing the, you want to avoid with that. My main memory of Star Ocean 1 was just the the attacking heroes running straight across the screen as fast as possible. Yeah, so they really game. like, they book it. <laughs> And that's important, rather than them sitting in uh, sitting in place and you having to play elite beat agents every time they decide to attack. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, well, guess what? There's only one point of comparison, yeah, and I'm true. still angry. <laughs> but yes, I do still have issues. Oh, they really thought Bioware could do better than that. They could if they cared. Yeah. I thought they cared. I thought they, they cared. Obviously didn't. You <laughs> hoped they cared, and then you realized that you don't recognize anyone in the credits of that game. Okay. So, moving on. Let's Do we have see. anything else we can talk about? <laughs> I don't want to talk about Sanic. Uh, so, okay, so can you think of any good horror RPGs? Mm, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. This was the subject I, I brought up, but I'm still having difficulty. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, I, mean, I could think of mainly two that Blood, really fit the mood, and I reviewed both of them Bloodborne. over the last few years. So, yeah, Bloodborne but that, counts. It's Lovecraft. Is it horror scary or yes. horror gory? It's both. Yeah, it's... it's, it's yeah. There were points it's, where I was yeah. like, I don't want to see what's behind this door. <laughs> I kind of passed on that one at Tokyo Game Show a few years back just because I'm like, mm, no. Does not look like my cup. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. But yeah, there are parts of Bloodborne where like I got to them and I'm like, I don't really want to see what's behind this other door. I, I kind of like never to see it again. Yeah, there's some pretty freaky and frightening moments too. Like when you're fighting a, a boss that's just some guy and then, you know, his life gets halfway down and suddenly he's a werewolf. Generally, it, it goes in for more like unknow- a great unknown one yeah. and uh, Lovecraft-style horror. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings me over to my first item for horror RPG, which was Mark of the Mermaid. Hmm, never heard of that one. Well, it's, it was an old PlayStation tactical RPG, and it starts off with a group of people um, surviving a plane crash in the South Pacific and washing up on this island, and... Uh, it's it's a Lovecraftian horror survival tactical RPG, where very often the main goal is to get away hmm. from whatever is chasing you. Interesting. Um, the very like the first two battle screens, your two um, your main character and his love interest do not have attacks capable of lethal damage, and and there are only four characters in this party at this point. So, um, and you have about a dozen 
crazed cultists with knives chasing you. Oh, good. Yeah. That's wonderful. And that's the first And you have to... Um, it's, you just have to run as fast as you can to survive this. But um, throughout the game, you end up facing um, crazed cultists, mutated cultists, zombies, strange monsters from out of the forest, and eventually something which is not called a star spawn of Cthulhu, but probably is. And it's um, it references like one of the characters who joins later on is a graduate student from Miskatonic University whose entire research group has already previously been ritual sacrificed. <laughs> and you rescue her before the the crazy cult leader lady with the flesh mask has a chance to finish her off. And then your love interest gets then your love interest gets infected by the crazy cult lady and starts turning into deep And so you're so half the game is against the clock while you're trying to find a cure and escape before your girlfriend uh, permanently transforms into a fanged fish face. Oh, good. Yeah. Got that Mark of the Mermaid going on. Yep. And, um, again, and for more fun, there are no shops, there is no money, every weapon and every item in the game you have to find. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not, sometimes you just walk around and suddenly, oh, I just found them. So, hmm. by the end of the game, you almost certainly do not have the best item available. Oh, that's mean. Because they're probably hidden in some level that is constantly spawning zombies behind you. <laughs> you didn't have the luxury of looking around. Yeah. I mean, that is kind like of interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that, like, there is some design space where, like, the traditional survival horror and, like, RPGs can intersect, but they almost never did. Yeah, I mean, this game really is one of my best examples of how you can actually make those intersect and do it pretty well. Mm -hmm. I mean, the like, only I can think of it. Really had about this game were that it didn't have enough variety of enemies, and what it did have didn't always reflect the mythos as well as it could have. That's a shame. What was the uh, other game you were going to bring up? Nightmare Project Yakata. Hmm. Hmm. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Um, well, it was. Um, there were a couple guys from Red Company in its production. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and the game itself is based off of, or the backstory of the game is actually based off of a series of murder mystery novels hmm. um, called the Yakata series, where each of these novels is set in a different um, manor or big house, which is in Japanese Yakata. Mm -hmm. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they have names like the Dodecagon, the Labyrinth House, the Waterwheel House, the Clock Tower, the Doll House. And so each of these houses is a different chapter of the game. Where you have to go there and you have to... Um, you, this is, these stories often take, about a, take place about a year after the fact on, of the murder mystery version. 
and the houses have become filled with nightmares. I mean, literal nightmares. And, okay, so, backstory here. At the very beginning, um, the characters are all invited to this house on this island, and their hostess introduces herself as the daughter of this famous architect. And apparently her father went insane at some point, and in, within the foundations of several of his most famous buildings, he placed these engines that would gather nightmares, or gather evil force, and make it manifest. And he was trying to power a... Um, he built... It had six houses that he had already built, and it was supposed to be powering the seventh one, which was going to bring about the end of the world. Hmm. And, um... So... In each of these houses, they have these dimensional rifts where you end up going, doing the dungeon diving. But it's they get really weird. Like in the first house, it's all art themed. So at one point, you're going through the works of Picasso, <laughs> or at least several of the puzzles are Picasso themed or Dali themed or things like that. Interesting. But the boss of the house is the is the late owner who three days before had had an accident and died in his basement, locked away. And his own daughter was locked away in a different part of the, of the house because he was always hiding her from people. And she was slowly starving to death. And the boss is her, is her dead father who has now been mummified in his own wheelchair. I mean, stuff like this. It gets weird. Yeah, I'd imagine. And it gets really weird towards the end when the house that you have been staying in, which you think is the first house, turns out to be the seventh house, the one that's supposed to destroy the world, and it attempts to eat you. Oh, good. Oh, wonderful. With tentacles coming out of the walls. Oh. And all of these maids and butlers and cooks who you thought were supporting you and helping you turning out to be crazed ghouls. That's good. Yep. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, anything else that even really qualifies, and it's like, I remember, I, I only know this one by reputation, because the one time I tried to play it, I hated every second of it, and turned it off, like, ten minutes in, but, like, apparently Kodelka has, like, horror themes in it somewhere. And it's like kind of a combination of horror RPG, but like that's about all I can think of. They're just it's a weirdly unexplored space. Or outside of like RPG maker games in Japan. Uh, the, how does Legacy of Kane count? Hmm. Uh no, like the first one's kind of a Zelda game, but after that it's basically just uh it's basically like Metroid or uh or a more typical action game and they're, they're really more horror coded rather than like actually attempting to scare the player mm-hmm. mm. trying to think of other stuff Dead Space honestly is almost an RPG oh. it's as far as the Resident Evil 4 is yeah. <laughs> well I think it has more upgrading and stuff than RE4 does but yeah. RE4 is like all about upgrading your guns, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, like that, that company, it's, it's weird that like the older style, like 
survival horror only never really mixed with RPG that much. Like the the resource man management concept is kind of inbuilt into a lot of how RPG dungeons are tackled, so it's weird that, like, no one played that for horror and just, like, played it for, for like, decision-making. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I suppose, like... Nah, I'm still, like, spacing on it other than, like, individual little elements of, like, that are ripped from more horror-style games, like... Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter has Resident Evil's saving system, but that's about it. Yeah. I'm actually thinking right now, Persona 3, whenever the Reaper showed up in Tartarus. Mm, yeah, that's certainly scary. <laughs> or... And the game lets you know, because like, you get Puka just shouting, RUN! Yeah. I mean, so you can find, like, individual horror elements within some of these games. Yeah. Like, um, Metal Max 4 had a slasher movie quest. That's somebody can make a pretty good, uh, horror roguelike. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised there's not more of that. Maybe it's just because the game pisses you off too much to be scared of it. Uh, but, see, like, I'm trying to think of, like, others, like, point-and-click adventure games got in on it because, like, Clock Tower exists, and, like, you know, there's plenty of horror elements in action games, horror elements in, like, just about everything, but RPGs, like, never really got major, like, horror titles. Like, there's a lot of Lovecraftian nefariousness going on in the background of the first couple Persona games, but they're not horror games. Yeah. But you find lots of Lovecraftian stuff in a lot of Japanese RPGs because so many yeah. of them ripped off the Fiend Folio and Monster Manual back during the 80s. Yeah, like they they have they have Lovecraft in them almost as just like, a, well, that's just part of the fantasy tool set style. Yeah, I mean, that's where the Space Flea from Nowhere trope comes from. Pretty much. So, someone go out and make these things that I want to see make a horror RPG. I know, I, um, did you ever hear of a game called Seema the Enemy? I think I've heard the name, but that's about it. Yeah, I played it in Japanese and then Jim's um, reviewed the English version a while later. I think we both had similar issues with it, but at the same time I could totally see that kind of game being used in a, like a survival Lovecraftian horror thing, like, um, like, or like, a cross between one of Lovecraft's, like, the color from Beyond Space and Stephen King's The Mist, mm -hmm. where you're just trying to guide a group of survivors through a town that's been overrun by something and you're not quite sure what. Hmm. And if any of the people in your group die, then it's a game over. <laughs> or, for more fun, for more fun, add sanity gauges and have the bosses of each section be one of your party members who has been overcome by whatever the influence is and goes insane and mutated. Mm -hmm. And it varies depending on how you play. Interesting. Yeah, that reminds me of that Furyu game from like a year ago that was like all about sort of like distrust because like there was one party member that was going to betray you every time it was randomized. Uh, yeah, similar, but in this case, it's it's more like if you play well, you might actually be able to reduce the number of boss battles because none of your characters don't go Oh, yeah, nice. But if, for example, if the dog dies 
in the middle of a level, and then his, the little boy, who's his owner, starts hearing his dog mm. calling him at maybe at a, in a different level, and has to go run out and find his dog because he's convinced his dog is still alive, and he gets possessed by part of the mist, and he projects this hellhound. Mm. Something like that. I was also thinking about since last episode, just like the weirdness of the fact that Capcom made two different attempts at like making a 8-bit horror RPG like 12 years apart and neither of them holds up very well but one of them is important and one of them is terrible. <laughs> what are they? So we had Sweet Home, which Sweet Home is important Resident Evil Gaiden is terrible. Is that the is, is that a Game Boy game? It's a Game Boy Color game. Oh God! And it's a it's like it's it's such a strange evolutionary dead end from every direction because like it's a it's a Resident Evil RPG with like a weird combat system that uses like a golf swing meter, but it's also like a prelude to a version of RE4 that got canceled. Hmm. Like its its plot was meant to lead into a version of RE4 that did that like it was probably like the second version that they were kicking around. It's it's very strange, very bad. Um, but yeah, like they're they're two very different attempts at like translating like the feeling of horror in 8-bit, and like one of them is a very atypical, hasn't aged super well, but interesting. RPG Sweet Home on NES on Famicom I should say very interesting incredibly obtuse oftentimes quite player unfriendly maybe it was easier with a manual maybe it's maybe the fan translation isn't great I don't know but it's really hard I tried playing it for a couple hours and could not get very far but hey it has nice music <laughs> and then Resident Evil Gaiden is a very late era Game Boy Color game that has like resource management but almost no other real horror to it it's very disappointing <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to interrupt too hard i just like i had to get that thought out before i forgot about it immediately that's okay any other thoughts does silent hill book of memories count for this uh, it's not really trying to be horror. That's true. But it's still based on the horror series. Yeah, it's just like it's, it's just a dungeon crawler. Like, it does some interesting things plot-wise with like the attempt at like psychological stuff. But it's like I'm not sure that it's really meant to scare the player so much as that it's meant yeah. to be like just an interesting backdrop. Okay, then here's an idea: Five Nights at Freddy's RPG. That already. Happened. Happened. It did? <laughs> it, that has happened. But an act, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's World, which is kind of cheating because it's like specifically not supposed to be scary. Oh. But an actual Five Nights at Freddy's RPG. Uh, okay. But yeah, like, like that game's already like, the first one at least, is all just resource management. So, mm -hmm. so you could extrapolate that into an interesting premise. Really, just I'm there's sure there an are many people who would just love thing. to beat that thing over the head with a baseball bat. But, yeah. There, there is an interesting thing to be done with just the implacable, undefeatable enemy. 
I was going to say that one side quest from Metal Max 4 had one of those. Um, the side quest, um, you get three of your characters to join in on a kind of a treasure hunt um, through this resort, this old abandoned resort. And so there's three teams, you're one of the teams. And so you're running around trying to find clues in this fake Hawaiian resort up in the mountains. And um, every in different areas you can just talk to people from the other teams and they seem to be enjoying it it's kind of fun then you get up to the little cabin in the far northwest corner and you find one of you find two of the two teammates from or two people from one of the other teams dead in the closet and then you go back outside and you you, you keep finding blood stains and uh, body parts of other people on other on the other two teams and then you actually find the thing that's doing this, and it is unkillable. Hmm. It is. It. It just. It. I mean, it looks kind of ridiculous. It's this huge black clad, like, pro wrestler kind of thing. Sold. <laughs> yeah, but it, it cannot be killed. You have to keep running away from it, and it, the only way to defeat it is to lure it out onto the ice of the lake in the middle of the the area, because, I mean, it looks yeah. like a flying resort, but it's actually above the Alpine line. Um, and, the and the roof is broken, so it's all frozen over. But you have to lure it out onto the middle of the lake, get into a fight with it, and then use a flare. A flare gun to muff uh, the ice. That's super <laughs> and it will fall through. And that's the only way to defeat this thing. Your project but to make me better, jump... Plus, about all these Metal Max games, every episode is working, by the way. But, but even be I mean, hey, it's it's at least topical this time. But even better, after that, <laughs> you will randomly get into battles with the half-exposed endoskeleton of this killer robot that had that you had just dumped in the river in the lake. Amazing. So it's it looks like T1000 with half with most of its face ripped off. And it is still trying to kill you, but at least it's killable this time. You have a fight to have with it, rather than yeah. just, well, better get out of here. <laughs> so much untapped potential here. Yes. And the sad thing is, if they had chosen the other Metal Saga game to, um, to localize... We might have actually gotten some of these. Yes. Oh. It's Metal Socket is so much better in many ways that American audiences would prefer. Oh. I mean, they were both. I gave both of them two and a half, but for completely different reasons. Sad face. Well, now I'm sad. Metal Max. Why have you forsaken us, Metal Max? I, la I lost Lenore. <laughs> yeah, I, in, in the realms of, like, commercially released software, you pretty much tapped all of my knowledge. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, uh, an RPG that just, like... I'm, I'm sure that this has been, has happened at least once, but an RPG just where, like, every 
like every combat will make you weaker so you desperately try to avoid enemies in the hopes of like conserving um, your power until the end um i believe it's called yusha shisu or hero must die hmm. the playstation vita version in particular um the original one was a cell phone game yeah and that was designed for short playthroughs and and constant replayability but the idea is that the game starts with the hero killing the Dark Lord and dying. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and an angel of mercy comes and grants him seven more days to just travel the land, see how things are going, maybe fix a few more wrongs, and then drop dead. <laughs> and the end of the game, the game rates the player by the number of people who show up to the funeral, who, how many of them cry, and who gives the eulogy. <laughs> That's super good. That's amazing. But, um, um, I'm not sure if this is in the cell phone version, but I do know that in the Vita remake version that came out last year, um, I think it was through Nipponichi, um, if you, I mean, you've got very limited time, you still have a seven day time limit here, and you could just keep pressing on and trying to do as much as you can, however, you, the hero's stats will just degrade over time if he does not get enough rest. <laughs> And it's possible to get him down to one in every single stat. That's amazing. Uh, that's, well, now I'm just sad that they didn't localize that. Um, well, there's still hope. I mean, we're getting we got yeah. Dragon Quest Seven. True enough. True enough. Hopefully, it sounds like interesting. Even if it's like, even if I still want to see that idea that applies to like scaring the player out of fighting, but, but yeah. It, also, just that grading system is amazing. But yeah, I think I think we've hit the hit the limit, limits of horror technology. <laughs> we've hit so our horror limit. <laughs> All right, so. Do we have any other questions, thoughts? Random commentaries? Uh, I guess I can throw out a question for you guys. Oh. Do you ever... Do you, I, I'm fairly certain I know the answer to this from Wales at the very least, but do you ever get into this awful mood to just keep playing, like, one franchise until you're just out of games to play in it? So in the spirit of Halloween, I've been playing through every Silent Hill game. And it's just like... Why do I get in moods to do this? It's very strange. Um, I'm not usually that masochistic. <laughs> Though, um, but I, I mean, I have made a point of playing through some games just because I had played everything else in the series, or almost everything else. See, Metal Max Original and Metal Saga. Yeah, um, Metal Max Original probably super dated. Um, oh yeah, I, I really do wish I could find a good way of playing the remake for the Super Famicom sometime, but... Hmm. I don't have a Super Famicom right now. Uh -huh. I don't have a Wii, so both options are out. And I don't feel like emulating. But, uh, I but otherwise, yes, I've, I've played every other game in that series. Mm -hmm. I've definitely... It's just like, I've already done so much, so you keep going. Mm -hmm. I definitely get in that mood, but I usually peter out before actually, like, actually going all the way through the, through a series. Did you Trust me, doing... I know. We, yeah, yeah. we had that Tales bet many years ago. Yep. 
possible, yeah. Me and Wheels have engaged in many ill-advised forms of gambling. That's true. One or two of the bets may legally still technically be open. <laughs> uh, sure, if you can remember what they were. I'm pretty sure you still have to finish the la the latter two .hack GU games at some stage before I finish five games whose names I don't remember. That sounds accurate. I, I think the statute of limitations is when you cannot actually remember what the details are anymore. <laughs> well, then that would mean that all of these bets were dead three days later. <laughs> we are bad at memory. Mm. Uh, I think at one point a copy of Final Fantasy XV was on the line during this. Uh, I, believe it, I believe it was fifteen or Kingdom Hearts 3, and I believe I owe you a copy Which of Kingdom Hearts 3. came out I don't think it was. Do I, you? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you got like a choice and you picked Kingdom Hearts. I don't know. We should put I these things in writing. I think we decided that it was whichever came out first. But at this point, FF15 is so close that you're just gonna have to go with Kingdom Hearts first. Yeah. Plus, I'm broke from that super super duper Probably special edition. I'm so angry at you. Send me that Noctis statue and we'll call it good. Hell no. Hell to the no. I hate you so much. Uh, so, anything else to talk about? Um, Saga Scarlet Grace. Since that's Is there any new information coming out relatively it? soon. Um, oh, how about Allegiance, whatever. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Okay, I almost oh. forgot about that. Oh, oh man, that would have been shameful to not say something Seriously. about. Oh, yeah, especially Saga since... Cast. Yeah, um... Yeah, Lola Loops is offering to teach me how to do the news backend so I could actually put up that um, plot pricey that I put on um, the comment thread for the, the Allegiance, um, the last news update for it. Nice. So, has there been any like relevant new information? Uh, like, well, how much do you know about it? Just that it looks like looks like a lot like uh, Legend of Legacy, I, but I, I'm not haven't gotten any in-depth details yet. It's like the yet. same team, Yeah, I, I know think. it's the same team, but is it going to be... It's the same team, it looks a lot like it, and you know what, let's just go here to the forum post. Because I think most of the new information you can get is going to be on there. Okay, okay come on, load up. And while he's doing that, this is your, uh, you know, reminder, listeners, that you should be purchasing and playing and enjoying Legend of Legacy. Right there. Yes. It's there for you. So yeah, here we have a basic background summary and details on all of the main characters. Nice. game better be localized. Probably will. Well, localized or not, I'll be reviewing it in January. Excellent. Yep. See if I can beat the the localization announcement the way I did with Legend Legacy. And Miguel Montero who has taken over behind the plate. So it's kinda funny that's gonna be coming out relatively close to uh Scarlet Grace, then. 
Gonna get yeah. double dose of Saga. Well, actually, I don't know if we actually have a release date for the Alliance Alive yet. Oh, I'm okay. just making a guess based on Legend of Legacy's um, schedule from announcement to release. I gotcha. Cool. Please, for the love of God, some mobilize it. Yeah. I mean, the battle okay. system itself looks exactly like Legend of Legacy, but with five people in variable mm -hmm. yes. formation. That's a slightly more stock number. Yep. I mean, just the the formation system looks a lot like Romancing Saga original. It has not actually mentioned whether or not there is sparking, however, one of the battle screens definitely shows that kind of, uh, the kind of ability setup that you would expect from a Saga game with sparking. Nice. Yeah, I mean, all of the screenshots, they just look exactly like Legend of Legacy. That's good news. Good news. It's almost weird that it's not being marketed as a sequel. I know it's it's got the same sort of alliterative name. Yeah, definitely. I guess it's just surprising not to see a number on. It. And at this point, anybody who who was aware of Legend of Legacy to begin with would be paying attention. Definitely. Definitely. So it's the perfect time to go to your local game establishment and pick yourself up a copy of Legend of Legacy. By which I, fairly cheap too. by which I mean, probably mean online because that's probably the easiest way to find it. Please purchase it. Purchase a copy for a friend. Hey, the holiday season is coming. What am I doing? Here? What is, what is it? What is a better gift to a friend than a saga-esque experience? And hey, for those naughty kids out there, you can probably still find new copies of Unlimited Saga. You beat me. she's your best friend. Uh, well, I should probably be signing off soon. It's been about an hour and a half. All right. So, and on cue, little daughter starts um, crying a little bit. Okay. All right. So, yeah, let's wrap this show up. Uh, you can send us any questions the usual place on the forums. Uh, S, uh, not S wheels. Wheels at rpgamer.com by email. You can hit us up on Twitter. I'm Ask Wheels. Dave is at Handboy Master. Gaijin is avoiding social media, and I applaud him for it. Wise reasons. Yes. Smart man. And yeah, we will see you next time. Please enjoy the a musical selection from Legend of Legacy. Oh, that's good. Peace out.